for being with us today. For more information about any of our events, look in your bulletin or visit our website, churchatbriargate.org. You can also stay connected by liking us on Facebook. Have a great week. Okay, sorry, my bad. Um, so a few things I wanted to mention. How many of you have seen the movie Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? That's a good movie. That's a, that's a great movie. I was watching TV the other day, and there was a, some TV show. I don't, I don't know, remember what it was now, but on the TV show, the people were watching Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I recognized it because they were, it was during the dance scene with all the dresses and all the stuff. And, and Okay, so I just I thought you might want to know that. Um, we've made up some uh, prayer cards for our two guys in India, our two pastors. Uh, they are on the information booth. I know that they look like there was, it was uh, running low a little bit ago, but we'll make sure over the next few weeks that they're out there. Each of the two guys has uh, some little bit of information, just a little bit about them, where they are, those kind of things. Please grab one of our prayer cards and be praying for them. Now, we have on the top of them that they are the Ramper Hut Project Administrators. Um, this is so that in case these... Um, get other places that are not good, that it doesn't hurt them, okay? Uh, these two guys are our pastors there of the church in Rampart Hutton. So we want you to take these prayer cards. Please pray for them. Put them somewhere in, important that you remember to do that. This is uh, Jerry and Nur also going Tuesday. They're leaving to head over there, and they are going to, they're going to be, be doing a bunch of stuff while they're there. One of the things that we talked about a couple weeks ago, the list that we showed of uh, all of the stuff that we need to get for them, things like um, motorcycle, there's a sound system we're going to try to get, um, a generator, a bunch of stuff like that. We're, we, some of you have already given toward that. That's, that's what we were asking for that day. Uh, we are going to be purchasing those things uh, while they're over there. Uh, some of the stuff we've already got, and then some of the things we're going to be purchasing when we get there, specifically like the motorcycle. It's hard to take that in a suitcase. So uh, we're going to be getting some of that stuff. So, so if you want to contribute to this, you want to give to this, please Please let us know. You can put on there India. You can put on there Ramper Hut. We're, we've, we've used a lot of money. We've sent a lot of money. Um, we've sent uh, approximately fifty dollars to $60,000 over there already. Uh, we have about $25,000 left in that account. So if you want to contribute to that, we definitely are going to be needing it, using it uh, over the next few months, few years, paying their salaries, doing all those kind of things. With it, they're building the, the they're building the building over there. They've they've got the electricity and water done started something like that. I don't know. It gets it gets confusing uh, by the time I get the information to here. But but they've already started something. When, when uh, Jerry and Nur get over there, they're going to be taking pictures of that. What what's been done? We know some. There's been some uh, filling, uh, ground filling and stuff uh, going on too. So when they get back in about a month, we'll let you we'll let you see some of the pictures, some of what's going on. Um, I'm kind of excited and a little bit jealous. I'd like to be going with them. They're, they're a lot of fun to hang out with, Jerry and Nur. I haven't met the two pastors, but I would love to meet them. Um, hopefully, I'll, I'll go maybe before the end of this year. We'll see what that looks like. But be praying for, the, be praying for our two pastors. Be praying for Jerry and Nur. Safety, protection, wisdom, all that kind of stuff. And they're going to be, they're going to be trying to speak into the guys' lives when they get there. Um, the, the, these guys are two very young guys with, with a little bit of experience uh, do you know ministry experience, but not like planting a church, and they're going into a, a hardcore non-Christian, in fact, a very anti-Christian area. And India is getting worse and worse about this. Uh, this is a Muslim part of India, so not only do you have the uh, we don't like you because you're not Muslims, 
Um, it's also the Muslims and the Christians get a lot of pressure from, from uh, the Hindu government and those kind of things. So be praying for the guys. We had Jerry and Nur up here um, this morning at first service and praying for him. And Nur did mention to me this week, he says, you know, I'm getting older. It's harder. <clears throat> it's getting harder to do this trip. He's in his 70s, 70-something now. And, uh, and he said, it's getting harder to do this. And, and I thought to myself, Jerry's 10 years older, Nur. Suck it up. Come on. Let's just do this. Uh, but they both, it's getting hard. These are hard trips in any circumstances. Your stomach, uh, different foods, all kinds of different time changes, all that stuff. And then when you add uh, some age to it, it can be challenging. So just be praying for the guys. <clears throat> Turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 7. We did have a great men's retreat last week. Uh, it, was, it, was just, it was just solid. Um, about 40 guys were up there. Just really good atmosphere, attitude, the the, 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 I mean, our retreats are great every year. I do want to thank Marcus and the, and the team that have put this together. The, the retreats are great every year, but it just, it just seemed really, maybe I've just been praying so much about our guys and our church and, and where we're going, and I feel like we, we got some places through this retreat, really made some steps forward, and, and Tyler, our missionary uh, to India, did a great job uh, with this, really, really listened to God and really spoke from from. His heart, what he really felt like God was saying, and it was it was right on. There were some really solid, positive things. I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty if you didn't go, guys, but to say you're, you're missing something that's dynamic. You're missing something that's vital uh, for us to get together as guys and to really take some of those steps and pray together and, and just hang out together. And some guys, you know, went hiking, shooting guns, eating, lots of food. I mean, those are important things. And all of it together, uh, spiritually moving forward, has been very uh, beneficial to us. So... <clears throat> oh, yeah, one other thing, the fine arts, the youth are coming back from fine arts this afternoon. Are they already on their way back? I don't know how that works. Um, so be praying for them. They had a, a challenge heading up there. They took the big bus, and uh, there was like 7,000-mile-an-hour winds on the way up there, and so it, was, it took them almost an extra hour to get there. When you're driving a sail against the wind, <laughs> it takes a little longer. And so uh, be praying for them as they're coming back. They don't have the same inclement weather, but... But we definitely want our kids protected and bring them back to us safe. And so be praying for them. Hopefully they'll be here in time for lunch. Second Samuel chapter 7. I, I want to ask some questions. And we're going to read this that David said here. And, and some statements that David said. I, I've been thinking about this. I, I, I was going to say I've been thinking about this for a few months. But this is my 28th year of being in ministry. I've been thinking about this for 28 years. And, and this is the simple question. I want to unpack this a little bit. Is why, why, do, why do people go to church? And not just Christian churches, but church in a general sense. Why do people go to church? Why do they go to mosques or cathedrals or all the other things out there? Uh, why, do they, why do they do that? I've been asking myself this question a lot of different ways for a long time now. And part of the, part of the reason, let me, let, me, let me bring a little bit back to me on this, um, just to process, okay? This isn't about me, but I just make the statement because this is part of the thought process in my head is why do people come to church at Briargate specifically to listen to me? I've, I've wondered that. And some of you are also like, yeah, we've wondered that also. I've, I've got it written down right here, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I, not to make it about me, but that's a question. Why? Uh, why? I mean, I think I'm pretty interesting sometimes, but sometimes not. Um, I... I just don't know the answer to some of these questions because I found out that they're very individualistic. 
Everything about this is very individualistic. And uh, I know that when I, when I was a kid, I grew up going to church. My parents, I mean, we were there every time the doors were open. It's just who we were as a family. I mean, if, if we had a church work day, uh, we were there, which, by the way, we're going to be having one coming up soon, and you should feel guilty if you're not here. Christians would be at a church work day. But, uh, but I, I mean, we were just, we were always, we were just always at everything. It's just, it was so ingrained in me and so ingrained in me. And then, and then as I became a teenager, I wasn't serving God. And then I, I, I uh, left home at 17 to go be in the Navy, and I, 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 I didn't go to church. I didn't serve God. I didn't want anything to do with God, and I definitely didn't want anything to do with church. I didn't like church. Um, I, I, I didn't like most, not all, but most of the things about church. And mostly it was you walk into church, and they're talking about God, and if you're trying to run from God, that's not the place you go. You know, So that makes you hate the, the moment. It's like, I don't like McDonald's. Guess why I don't go? I don't go to McDonald's because I don't like McDonald's. Um, I'm a Burger King guy for the most part. Really, I'm kind of a Red Robin guy, if you just want to know. So, so I, I, I got away from church and I want to go to church. But I remember the very first time I went back to church. Uh, I was in college. Um, I, I, I was in the Navy in college. And I'd got, I walked into church the very first time um, in a long time. And I, and I remember the moment. I can still remember today. Now, now some of my motivation was um, I had just re-met Linda. I'd met Linda a year before that, but I didn't, I didn't really know her. And then I, I go to this meeting, and she's there, and, and then she says that she goes to this church in town. I'm like, I should be going to church again. So um, I did. My, a lot of my motivation was because Linda was there. Um, I didn't know her dad was the pastor. She <laughs> failed to mention that, you know. But... Um, so I, I, go, I go to church for the very first time, but I remember this because even though I was, uh, to a great extent, following Linda um, wherever she went, uh, there was, I didn't just go to church because of her, because I had been resisting that for a long time. Um, I remember the, the feeling of that, the mentality, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to uh, go back to church? Do I, do I, am I interested in this? And over the next couple of weeks, I'd given my heart to the Lord and, and, um, and began to really try to serve God. And church, for the very first time in my life, was completely different to me. There was, I needed to be there. I needed to be a part of this. I needed to hear this stuff. I needed to know what was going on. And, and, uh, and so I, within a couple years after that, I'm a youth pastor of a church. And so from that moment on, I've now been... I don't know how to say this because it, 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 it's different for you than it is for me when I say this. But now I'm on this side of this as the pastor, and that's different. I go to church partly nowadays because I have to. <laughs> that sounded horrible, but... Because <clears throat> there's sometimes, I'm telling you, there's sometimes on like Saturday evening, I'll tell Linda I'm, I'm not going tomorrow. And she'll say, okay, because she knows I am. Um, but, but here's the thing, you don't have to, so why are you here? <laughs> That's the question. And here's an interesting thing with this is, I believe the answer is different for every single one of us. There's no reason to leave him, man. I wasn't trying to be mean. You can stand here with us. <laughs> she, she won't even look. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so, so here's the question, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. I'm going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 7, because I, I do think... I'm going to give you a very middle, you know, kind of the slice right down the middle of an answer, and there's a lot of layers to this that we could all unpack, and you can come up with a lot of other things. But I'm going to give you kind of, kind of the core here. 
and, uh, and then kind of help us to, to process this a little bit bigger. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David, David is, is uh, processing some stuff here, and he's verbalizing this out loud, and he's really making some, some huge statements that, I, that resonate with me, uh, that these are, these are solid statements. So he says, talking about God, How great are you are, O sovereign Lord. There is none like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. That's a powerful statement that he makes. Here's something. Let me, let me just throw this out, and, and you process this. And, it, and it's going to sound like I'm really picking on us, but here's what I know. Every one of us in here uh, don't do this well. We're, we're guilty in a, in a negative sense of this, every single one of us. And so when I make this, this is a, this is a blanket generalization statement, but I think, I think we can grab onto something here. This is the way I would look at this rationally, not spiritually, not emotively, but when you just look at rationally, okay, two plus two equals four, there's no way you can get away from that. It's that kind of thinking, is if God really, if you believe that God is real, if you really do believe that he is real, then why would you not be 100% in all the time? You, you, you processing what I'm thinking. If, if you really do believe he's real. Now, we don't, we don't get there. Sometimes we do better than other times. And, 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 and we can put it all, it's easier to say, well, it's not about actions, you know, it's about my heart. But even our heart's not all in all the time. Even our attitude can be different with this. But if you know, if you know that God is real, and there's no doubt about that in your mind, then all of the things that he said must be true exactly like he said them. Because it doesn't make sense to say, I believe in God, but I don't believe like in the Bible. I believe in God, but I don't believe in like Old Testament, I don't believe in New Testament. Or I believe in God, and I think that uh, things have changed over time. You know, the Bible, the Bible isn't like what it used to be. I mean, you know, society changes, and so the Bible needs to catch up. That kind of thing. Somewhere, if you say, God, I believe, as David says, there is, I've never heard of any, any other God that's even close to what you are. If you do believe that God is real, then you have to believe that it demands 100% all in all the time. You have to. You can't come up with another rationally. You can't. Now, spiritually, we can frame a lot of things. Mentally, we can frame a lot of things. We can come up with a lot of reasons, excuses, and a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you believe that God is real, you've got to be 100% all in if you're serious about it. I mean, there's really not, there's not a wiggle room there. There's not a... Well, you know, that's kind of what they believe, and they're kind of fanatical, but I kind of, either, either God's real. For example, creation. This is one of the things that kills me about how Christians believe in evolution. Because God didn't believe in evolution. God said he made it. So if God, if you believe in God, and he said he created it, you got to go with that. If, he, if you believe in God, and, and he said that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, you got to believe in that. You don't get to say, well, you know, that one's, that one's a little out there. So when you're reading through Scripture and you read stuff, you've got to know first that it was true. And this is, I mean, this is my thinking. You've got to first know that it's true. And secondly, you've got to say, okay, then how does, that, how does that deal with me? How am I a part of this? It's got to be an all-in kind of thing. And that's kind of what David is saying here. And he says, what other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? And obviously he's talking about when they brought them out of Egypt. He said, you made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. And th this is another thing that, 
I mean, this is, this is what I do with, for a living. This is what I do with my life as I study stuff, theological stuff, and I study what other people believe and groups and, you know, books and all this. And, and it's amazing how many groups in, Christian, in parts of Christianity in America believe that God doesn't do miracles today, that he doesn't, that he's, that he doesn't do that stuff. And things like the gifts of the Spirit, they're not for today and all that. And I just don't understand that rationale. It doesn't make sense to me. David is saying, God, you brought the people out of Israel and saved them hundreds and hundreds of years after it happened. And he's saying, that's the God I serve, is the God that brought them out hundreds and hundreds of years before. David had never seen the waters parted, but he believed and trusted that God did that. And his, his relationship with God was built upon the knowledge of something that he had never seen. He was taking in faith and believing and saying, this is part of why I serve you. Is because I believe that you did that. Now, I, I think once you get about a generation or two away, at that point, it doesn't matter how many years, it's about all the same. So for David to believe in it, for me, is no different than for me to believe in it. And I believe that God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. I don't believe that was a made-up story. I believe that it actually happened. Why? Because I believe in God. And if he says he did it, then he did it. I have to go there completely. I really don't understand a parsing mentality. I'm only going to go there some. Or I don't believe those stories are like true. I, to me, you've got to be all in. It's either all in or all out. Why would you want to be a part of it if, you, if you're slicing it up? That literally is counterintuitive. That makes no sense. Okay, so he continues on. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. Now, he's talking about, I'm not going to go down this road, but he's talking about the Davidic covenant, that, that, his, his, um, that the throne of David was going to last forever, okay? Um, <clears throat> he says, and may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say, the Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. I think it's interesting that he's saying, you are, you are establishing uh, my name or my lineage forever but make sure that when at the end of the day, this is what people think. The Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. David's not in that circle. Even though he's saying, as establishing my uh, kingdom, my, uh, the, the, the lineage of David forever, make sure, God, that at the end of the day, it's not about me or my limited uh, personalness now, but make sure that your kingdom is what is being exalted throughout the time of, throughout time. Okay, and he says, verse 27, O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servants, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Now, this is God saying this to David. It has to do with the, the uh, Davidic covenant. But here's something that I think is interesting, and I want you to process with me a little bit. When I read this, this is what I thought, even though it's not what he's saying here, it took me down a trail that David started in the first part of the scripture. David says, God, I have found nobody like you. You are truly God. This, this, this boggles my mind how amazing you are, how big you are, and you are truly God. Then David says, um, then, then David says now God, you said to me, I'm going to make your, your uh, throne last forever, or your house last forever. And I got to thinking, David is the one that said, God, they, Moses had the tabernacle, and uh, David said to God, God, I want to build a house for you. I want to build a church building for you. 
And we see the very first ever church building was built by David's son, Solomon. David couldn't build it because he said he had blood on his hands, and so he couldn't build it. But David is the one who came up with the idea. In fact, he drew up the plans and put all the materials together. He did everything. God dictated to him the, the architectural designs, not to Solomon. He just set everything out and then said, Solomon, here's a screwdriver. Here's a, you know, but, and, and Solomon built it. Now, why, why is that important? What is it? Now, I asked the question at first. Why, why do you go to church? This is, this is part of what is going on with David. Is David says, God, I, I recognize that there is no other God but you. That there's, there's nothing like you. That, that you reign supreme forever and you brought the Israelites out of Egypt. All this. David is making this, this statement of this is his personal belief and this is what his life stands upon. This is what his life rests upon. And then David is the one that says, now let's do this as a corporate group and let's have church together. I'll build a temple and I'm using the term church. They, it, I think it would have looked very different for them. In fact, we have some inklings in there of, of what they did in the temple, celebrations and things like that they had. But we don't have like an order of service. We don't have a bulletin stuck in your Bible. But, but we know it would have been different than today. Okay, in fact, I would say um, th- this is one of the things that always is entertaining to me when people uh, get irritated about how church is done or what needs to happen in church or, you know, what, what somebody says or what they're wearing or something else. If, if you could go back to pretty much any time in history before, besides the last, say, three or four hundred years, it would have looked very different incrementally along the way. If you could have just dropped into the Old Testament temple with the priesthood and all this stuff, you probably would have said, oh, this place is crazy. This isn't, this isn't, uh, this is a cult. Why? Not because of what they were saying, but because of what it looked like, how it was different than us. Okay? Church didn't look then like it does now. And even at the time of Jesus, if you would have been, we see where Jesus is in the temple and they're unfolding the, the scrolls and he gets them, grabs a scroll and reads it and all this. If you would have been there at that time, it wouldn't have looked anything like church does today. It looks different. That's why I, I just, I've always found it interesting how there's a way to do this. Is there? Is there really? I did this years ago for my youth group. This is like um, 25, 28 years ago. And um, I, we, had, we had been having youth, and I kind of felt like we were getting in a routine. You know, everything was the teenagers kind of doing the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. So I just changed everything around. We did everything different. The way we did the songs, we did everything. I turned all the chairs around because we always had the four or five, you know, junior high kids that always sat in the very back row because they were cooler than everybody else. You know, that kind of thing. They sit back there, you know. And so... I, I just, I turned all the chairs around in the middle of the service. What I said was, I want everybody to stand up and turn your chair around. And then I took my little podium thing, and I walked all the way around, and I sat right in the middle, and then them three or four junior hires were like, they're front row now. I did everything up. Why? Because there's not a way to do church. There's not a way. There's elements that we know need to be here. Okay? By the way, in 1 Corinthians 12, some of those elements are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're supposed to be in the services. That's as important as anything else that we do. Okay? That's, that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 12 says. Now, why am I saying all this? David says, this is you, God. I'm understanding this. Let's, let me build a temple that, that this mentality can be lived out corporately. Now, sometimes people think, well, that's the first time that we started really having church, as we call it now. The idea of a, of a corporate gathering was not new to David. Moses had had the tabernacle. 
corporate gatherings are there. Joshua, he, he comes across the river on dry ground because they, they, they um, <clears throat> walk the, um, the ark into the river, the river's parts, dry ground. And, and, and uh, Jacob says, take rocks out of the middle of the river. I'm sorry, Joshua. Yes, thank you. Joshua, I know the Bible. So Joshua takes the rocks out of the middle of the river, and Joshua says, it didn't feel right, you know, I just, I knew. And he says, now we're going to build a little altar over here with these rocks. I got them out of the very bottom of the river, so there's no doubt where they came from. It had been dry ground when they walked across. So they dig the rocks out of the river and come and built an altar, and they have this big worshiping moment around this altar that testifies that they just came across the river on dry ground. This idea of corporate connection and worship and gathering has been something that has, has been here a very long time. David says, I want to build a temple so that we can get together and we can, we can acknowledge the verbalization, the mentality behind this. Now, let me, let me take us down a few roads. I want you to process some things. Because <clears throat> I was, um, again, I've been asking this question for a long time. Do, is, is the reason that we come to church, I talked to a guy just a few years ago who said that the reason that he goes to church, he's older than I am, single guy, and he says the reason that he goes to church is because he's looking for a wife. Now, I, I, he, he was kind of asking that, you know, me, what do you think of that? And I said, well, uh, it's a good place to find a wife. It is. I would say to him, this is much better than going clubbing. Right? Okay? Finding a wife in church, for the most part, is a better idea. All right? There's some crazies in the church, too. But your odds are less, potentially. I don't know. So I told him, I said, that's a good idea. I said, but is there any other reason you go to church? No. No other reason? No? Like Jesus? No? I mean, literally, this is a conversation I have with this guy. So there's a lot of reasons people go to church. And not all on bad, by the way. Relational connection, you, you need this. This is important. I would, I've said this before many times. In fact, I've had this conversation with um, Marcus and Brianna. Your name's left me there for a second. About, you, as a young couple, kids, my, my oldest is about to have a child in like two or three weeks. Well, his wife is. And uh, I, I, you need to learn from older couples. The church is the place to do that. Learn good and bad, by the way. Right? There's good and there's good and bad. So so learn, pay attention, what's going on, how their marriages work, how family works, how parenting works. I have heard so many times uh, uh, people sitting around and talking about parenting. That's learning. That's probably, those are important things, but that's not really like the reason. Those are just some great benefits along the way. Okay, that's not, that's not the purpose. The purpose is part of what David is saying here. God, I've never found anybody like you. You're the God above everything. You're not just a person. You're God, and you're God above everything. Let's get together, and let's do this corporately. The idea of corporate worship, even music and stuff like that's mentioned all through Scripture. In fact, uh, there's actually specific instruments that are mentioned uh, in Scripture. Um, and, it's, and it seems to be the instruments that other people, some people, don't like in church. Drums are mentioned in Scripture. Those are not usually the first thing that people go, you know what we need? <laughs> uh, now, I like drums, but the, uh, uh, tambourines. God made a mistake on that one. He didn't really mean, he didn't really mean tambourines. But um, Donna, Donna gave me a 
tambourine. No, he gave it to Linda, not me. She gave it to Linda. And it's a tambourine that lights up because it wasn't annoying enough <laughs> just being a tambourine. But uh, the idea of musical instruments that's, that's mentioned in Scripture, getting together and worshiping God that's mentioned in Scripture. When I hear people talk about this, and, I, and I've heard this forever, and people, people will say to me as a pastor, they feel like they have to, have to, to uh, somehow justify this or whatever. And they say, well, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? I, that, your question doesn't even make sense. You're the body of Christ. You're the family of God. Do, do I have to be connected to the body? You say, well, I can be connected without going to church. Can you? Because that's the example we see all through Scripture. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, I've mentioned this before. Barna Research says that the, the most connected people in churches today, people that, you know, when they call up and do the research or do it online or whatever, and they say, are you, they're asking the people, they're not defining this, but they ask the people, are you very connected to your church? Yes. Do you consider yourself an integral part to the church? Yes. Do you consider yourself completely all in uh, with the church? Yes. Barna's, Barna then asks them, how often do you go? On average, once a month. Statistically, that's the most committed people. Now, I would say most people around here are much more in than that. So the question is, why? Is it social connection? Is it, is it just the gathering? Is it the worship? Is it the music? I think those are all parts of it. I think there's an importance for us getting together and worshiping God together and, and singing, putting words up on a screen and singing those, those, those words that you may not normally sing. In styles that you don't normally sing. That's a big one, I think. I, I know that sounds almost the opposite of the way we look at it. We think about, you know, you know I like this style. Or what. I think it's important that there are things that happen in church services that go against your culture. Whether it be a, an age culture, a mindset culture, whether you, whether you uh, are, this is your previous church culture. or I think there needs to be things that push against that specifically push against that. You need to hear things in the, in the message. You need to hear things in worship that theologically make you pause and say, wait a second, is that me? Is that something that I am doing? There, there needs to be things in the sermon that, I, I know this sounds weird to say it this way as the pastor, but it would be so much easier for me to preach certain ways. You would all like me better. If I just, you know, cotton candy and ice cream and build a whole sermon around cotton candy and ice cream, people walk in there, man, that just blessed me. I didn't, just, it got my spirit. Let's go get some cotton candy and ice cream. But when we start saying things like, um, what are those little cabbage looking things I hate? Brussels sprouts. Those, those are nasty and they stink. They smell like feet when you cook them. And then my wife says, these are good. And she's slicing the little cabbage thing. Put I think sometimes you've got to have that kind of stuff. I'm not ever eating Brussels sprouts. It's not, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> but there, there needs to be these moments when things, something is pushed against you. Why? Because human nature makes things so that we're comfortable and we design it. So here's what I was looking up. I began to process, why do people go to church? Not necessarily Christian churches, but in a general sense, why do people go to church? And I went to one of my favorite places. I love to go uh, listen to TED Talks. Um, TED, I forget what TED stands for. 
technology, entertainment, design, something like that. I don't know. But, some, but, they, but they're scientists, physicists, philosophers, all kinds of different people that get together, and they have these talks all over the world, and they have some like the main ones, and then they have a bunch of subsidiary ones. Now, most of the TED Talks that I go and watch online are um, very uh, anti-God, okay? A lot of them are. Many of them are atheists. Many of them have this, this uh, joke running that Christianity is stupid, and they make little humorous remarks all the time about it. Now, you say you like this. I actually love the, the place, and I love the sites, and I love to listen to it, because they also have a lot of really good, healthy, scientific stuff and, and uh, things like that, and I just love it. So I went, on, I went to TED, and, um, and I searched through church, religion, spirituality, all those different kind of things, and I brought up, literally, I spent two weeks probably more than that, just listening to talk after talk after talk, or at least some of the talks, and, and just saying, what, is people, what are people thinking spiritually out there? What is going on? How do they think religiously? How do they think church-wise? All this other kind of stuff. And I just picked a few of these things that jumped out, me the, out at me the strongest. Now, a lot of them were just the kind of the, the main thinking. Um, God dumb, people that think God is real dumb. But, but for the most part, I mean, that was it. And... and and I don't mean, I, I'm sounding more negative than I feel about this. I love the talks, and I, I feel sorry for the people that think that way. But I love going there. But I did pick a few out. There was one, a few that stood out to me. One specifically, there was this woman, the Jewish rabbi, that had, was known for having kind of uh, an avant-garde way of approaching uh, religion and spirituality. And she has started like a movement um, of new spirituality, new religion. She is a Jewish rabbi. She talks about the fact she's a Jewish rabbi. Now, why is that important? Because um, there are certain belief systems that a Jewish rabbi has that she doesn't, which was bizarre to me because she strongly attests to being a Jewish rabbi. And she said that, that, she, that she has, and she's known for this, she has rewritten the rules of religion, and she's come up with four basic things that she thinks are important about religion moving forward. And then she starts some other things I'll start talk about. But the first thing is she said, in this new direction of religion, there needs to be a wakefulness. We need to wake up and see the horrors in all of religions and the good in all religions. And she said, this is not a story of one God, but this is a story, uh, this is the idea of many, uh, this is a story of many ideas of spirituality. Now this is interesting to me, because she says she's a Jewish rabbi. And rabbis believe in one God. So she says she's a Jewish rabbi that believes we need to rewrite religion and make it not about one God, but about many ideas of a spirituality. Okay? She started a, uh, uh, like a service, a church service, that's a collection of all types of different religions. Um, Judaism, Christianity, uh, Mormonism, Islam, all kinds of different groups. And, and I went online and looked at this. There's pictures, there's videos of this, of them having services and all these other things. And there, and there was this big group, hundreds and hundreds of people in this place. Some were, were playing music and singing over here. And she had her, her uh, yarmulke on, and she's burning incense and doing some things. And, and um, these people over here are smoking pot. And um, these, this guy over here is, is uh, painting a painting. And uh, this guy over here, these, this couple over here is making out very, very, um, you know, and so, uh, because that's, you know, it's all worship, it's all worship. And, and then they interviewed some people, and she's giving a talk, and she's showing some of these pictures too. She, she's giving a talk at TED about this, and she said, 
it's amazing how we can all get together with so many different belief systems and worship. So here's the question I, I couldn't get by. I didn't know what to do with this. Worship what? Worship who? And, and she explained a little bit of that. She said, you know, we're all worshiping together. We're worshiping um, who we are as people. We're worshiping um, uh, the, the, um, the way she said it, like the stuff of the atmosphere. Uh, we're worshiping um, just uh, society. We're worshiping cultures. I mean, she, she said some things. I don't even remember all of them. The whole time I'm going, what? See, see here's the thing. Uh, I, I like me, but not enough to worship me. I like you, but not enough to worship you. I, I like nature. I like trees. Not enough to worship them. See, this is one of the things that I get from people. They'll say, well, I feel very close to God out in nature, and wouldn't it make more sense if I just, you know, walk through the, through the woods on a Sunday morning worshiping God? Um, usually when somebody says that, I call them on it. Okay, tell me the last time you did it, what it was like. When did you do that last? How did you do that? Well, I went on a hike. No, no, no. You said you went out into to nature to worship God. Did you do that? See, these are things that we come up with and we say, I love being out in nature. I love, there is nothing. Give me a mountain bike and give me an afternoon. I, I, that's, that's like the perfect day. I love being out in nature. I love being just quiet, nothing out there by myself. I love that. Linda doesn't let me go on by myself anymore. I had some accidents. I got lost a couple. But either way, so, so I like being out there. But is that worshiping? I love connecting with God, and I do talk to God out there. But that's not the same thing as a corporate worship together. It's not the same thing. I believe you can experience God in nature better than you can in this building. But there is an importance to getting together and worshiping together. You can't recreate it in any other setting. you got to be together. Now, if we could all head up into the mountains on mountain bikes, that would be awesome. But we need to be together and worshiping together. So this, this lady, the next thing she said is hope. This is one of the rules of rewriting religion. Hope. Our hope is people needing people. She said this is our spiritual belief. People needing people. That's where our hope is. What hope is in that? Where is your hope in other people? Now I'm not trying to be... Uh, pessimistic here, but every single human being almost guaranteed and has the potential to let you down. Jesus doesn't. Jesus will never let you down. And I've heard people say, well, my spouse has never let me down. Well, then crucify them because that's Jesus you're married to. We, we let each other down. We do. We do things we do, you're like, yes, crucify them. That's not what I meant. <clears throat> There's, there, hope isn't in humanity. In fact, 1 Thessalonians talks about this. This is part of the reason that the church gets together because the, the church is the only hope for humanity. 1 Thessalonians says that when the church is taken away, the Antichrist has nothing to stop him and he will take over. The only thing that is stopping not just the Antichrist, the person, but what Thessalonians and other places in Scripture talk about, the spirit of Antichrist, 
The only thing that's stopping the spirit of Antichrist is the church, the body of Christ. I'm not saying a, a local church building, but the people in it are the body. And that's what's stopping Satan from being just completely out of control. So the idea that somehow um, I, that hope is in humanity is it, it, really... I know I, this, this gets into kind of some of my pet peeve political stuff, but the idea that all people are good and we just need to figure out the good, and if we just got rid of all of our guns and our nuclear bombs and everything, everybody would get along. Who really believes that stuff? There are places right here in Colorado Springs I don't want to walk around in without a nuclear bomb. Because why? Not because I'm a bad guy. Not because I'm going to hurt anybody. I'm not. But there are people waiting to hurt others. Waiting to take and to hurt. Why? Because there's the spirit of Antichrist. Satan is the one that's trying to destroy everybody. The third thing she says is mightiness. She said, I'm strong and worthy, and we need to understand that, that we are strong within ourselves, but we need to be humble too. And then she says the story, now remember she's a Jewish rabbi. She said the story of the creation account in the Bible is not a true story. It is put there so that we will understand that we are limited and we need to be humbled. If it's not a true story, how does it humble me? If I evolved from a fish and God didn't make me, how does that humble me? In fact, it should inspire me to eat smaller fish. Right? Isn't that what evolution says? If I'm a big fish, I eat small fish. So if I'm a bigger person, I take advantage of smaller persons. It's the fact that God created me that says, you don't get to decide the rules you didn't evolve. I made you go by my rules. Therefore, God's rules are bigger fish take care of smaller fish. We don't eat them. Right? The, the, the whole thing. So then the last part, she said, interconnectedness. We're all in this together. Regardless of what your religious beliefs are, let's take all of our religions and make them work together regardless of what they believe. And that's why she started the worship services together. Because regardless of what you believe, you can all worship together. It literally doesn't make sense in my head. It doesn't connect. What if I believe in killing people and you believe people shouldn't be killed? Let's worship together. <laughs> you and me, let's hang out together. In fact, come over to the house at, at 2 in the morning. Some of this stuff doesn't make sense. So some other things. I was looking. This was a headline in the Jewish news, Haaretz. And um, I get a bunch of uh, news feeds that come straight to my computer and this is one of them it's 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 from israel it's uh they have a newspaper there in israel too but this is an online version and it's not that conservative it's kind of liberal um <clears throat> it doesn't it doesn't move into it doesn't necessarily think god is the the the, the overall stance of the newspaper is very um not anti-god but if you want to believe in judaism that's fine this is in israel but if you want to believe in judaism that's fine but that's kind of the old way and we're moving forward that's the mentality of the newspaper so this was the headline um, of, the, um, of this uh, newspaper. It said, Jewish God Yahweh originated in the Canaanite Vulcan, says New Theory. 
Okay, the Canaanite Vulcan was a, a writing um, between about the about late Bronze Age, early Iron Age mentality, okay? The cult of Yahweh as God of metallurgy originated among semi-nomadic copper smelters between the Bronze and Iron Age. In other words, this is when God came into existence, between the Bronze and Iron Age. According to this article, and I read the whole article, according to the article, the God came into existence by humans between the Bronze and Iron Age. Now, here's the interesting, that's, that's not, I don't know, I mean, there's tons of stuff out there that, that say God doesn't exist, people made him up. But here's the thing that caught me the most. All of this, the cult Yahweh, la, 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 the last three words, suggests biblical scholars. Biblical scholars are the ones saying that they made all of this up between the Bronze and the Iron Age. In other words, biblical scholars don't believe the Bible. Okay? So here's another one, another TED Talks. This one's called Atheism 2.0. You can go look this up. I actually enjoyed this one. This was very educational. It was enlightening, funny, but not true at all. So um, this atheist, he he wrote a book about this, and he does a TED Talk, talk, and he says, um, atheism, he said there was the old atheism. He said, we need to progress as atheists nowadays, and we need, some, we need to leave behind some of the total anti-religious mentalities. Now, he picked a lot of ears up in that room because everybody in that room is, most everybody in that room is anti-God, okay? He didn't say we need to embrace God again. What he said is we need to embrace some of the religious ideas again. He said, let me explain. He said there are certain elements that religion has developed that are very healthy for society, and this, this is the way he said it, is there is something missing in all of us that we know we need this again. Okay? He said we need religion again. Not God. We need religion again. So let me help you and let me pull some religious things into our enlightened thinking to help us. And this is some of the... I only pulled some of the things off the list. But he said culture and education can replace Scripture. We need some, we need some defining foundations but they don't have to be an old Bible. They can be culture and education. We understand, and he said this, and this is, this, is, this is academia. He said, we all understand that only enlightenment comes through education. That's the same mentality. Have you ever heard where people say um, uh, practice makes perfect? Do you know that's not true? Practice makes permanent, not perfect. If you practice wrong... You are imperfect, but really good at it. Right? And this is what he's basically saying is, education, if it's flawed, I understand it will produce flawed. He says education is the way to enlightenment. Okay? So the next thing, we need sermons. And then he said, but not like Bible sermons, we need sermons from scientists standing up and, and saying truth. So what I wrote was, but not about real truth, not about Scripture. We just want sermons. This is, I mean, this is this guy's speech. He said rituals are very important, but we need to focus those rituals on stuff that are important nowadays. He's saying not God, not Scripture, but focus on things of science and amazingness of science. And we need rituals, scientific rituals. He also said, um, he talked about churches like to amen, they like to amen pastors, and I mean, we don't do that around here because I, I talk too fast. I mean, I mean, 
did Daryl does. But, uh, but he said we need to amen. Church is amen. They amen the pastor. They amen a, a specific song or they amen a specific part of the Bible or something like that. He says we need to lose all of the, the uh, God stuff. He said, but we need to learn to amen people like Plato and Shakespeare. Okay? Forgiveness. He said forgiveness is a very important uh, religious thing that we need to bring into science. He said, but you don't need to be forgiven yourself. You need to forgive others. We don't need to be forgiven. Religions should not be left to religious alone. They're for all of us. We need to bring all the religions together, and we need to pull it back into the secular world and make it what they're supposed to be. All right, John chapter 6. This is what I've been processing is, why do I go to church? Why do I do this? See, these people are making up, this Jewish rabbi made up her own religion. This is something I saw, I'm young, I'm young enough, I'm old enough to, to know this. In the mid-80s, there was a guy named, early 80s, there was a guy named L. Ron Hubbard, okay? There's, you can go online and see this. He was doing an interview with a news station, and he said on that, on that interview, the way to make money in America today is create your own religion. A couple years later, the book Dianetics came out, mid-80s, Okay? Uh, that's where Scientology came from. I just saw a picture this last week of John Travolta and, uh, and uh, Tom Cruise. These are like the gurus of Scientology, okay? Talking about Scientology and all this stuff, and they're mad at, at uh, Remy, I think is her name. She used to be on, on um, King of Queens, and she made an expose about how Scientology is bad and all this kind of stuff. And the thing that gets me is it was made up by humans, this Jewish rabbi is making her own religion. This atheist is making his own religion. Here's the thing that I can't get across in my head is I didn't, I didn't start serving God again. I didn't start coming to church again so I could make my own religion. I was already doing that. Why would I want to go to a church or a mosque or a cathedral so I can make my own religion? I think there is a great religion called golf if I'm going to make my own, okay? I will, I will pray to the greens and the tees and the fairways. I, the idea I'm going to make my own religion, why would I even bother making a religion if I'm going to make it up myself? Jeremiah says this to him in the Old Testament. He says, you take pieces of wood and you carve out little idols and then you pray to them. And he's saying it like, how dumb is that? You make little idols, then you pray to the little idol you carved. We're doing the same thing. We're just doing it more with words instead of pieces of wood. John chapter 6, verse 30 says, They answered, show us a miraculous sign. They're talking to Jesus. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, God, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. There is a flaw in the way they're looking at this. They said, well, Moses created this manna. That's what they're saying. Moses created this manna and gave it to him. So we follow Moses because he did stuff. And he did cool stuff like make manna. Did he? Did Moses make manna? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. This isn't man-made bread. This, this, this spiritual life that you're walking isn't man-made. This is God's stuff. 
But this is what we try to do is we try to make the bread ourselves and then eat it and say, oh, it is spiritually filling me up. I am so amazed by me. And Jesus is saying, you, you didn't make it. This isn't human spirituality. Religion is human created. Walking with Jesus is not religion, and it's not human designed. I, Jesus, Jesus I, I didn't make Jesus die on the cross. He chose to die on the cross. I didn't make this planet. God did. I, did, I can make a religion anytime I want. It's going to take me nowhere. But when I submit to myself to Jesus Christ, that's not religion. I say, I've had people say this, oh, that's just parsing, that's semantics. I, call it what you want, but it's not the same thing. Jesus isn't a religion. Now, you could argue at different times and at different places, moments, that Christianity can be a religion. I won't argue against that. Because here's part of my question, is why do people go to church? I was thinking about this with Easter. We, we in the church world know there's going to be some people that show up at Easter time that don't show up any other time. I'm not picking on them. I, at least they show up at Easter time. But why? Why? Why do you do that? I, to, to me, there's got to be an all-in mentality. If God's real, it's all in. So, so he says, you didn't create this thing. This isn't the bread you created. My Father created. Now He offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one. It's not a it. It's not a thing. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, give us that bread every day. Something in their spirit jumped, moved, was stirred. Something poked them right in the middle of their, their spiritual psyche. And they said, I need that. I need what you just said I need. This, this bread of life from heaven that comes down, I need that. Do you know who the people are saying this? Is, is the people asking you to give a sign that have been following Moses' teachings forever. And he said, but something's missing. Something's empty. Something's not there. I want that. And Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty but you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, he's standing right there and he's saying, you're not getting it. However, the, those the Father has given to me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I shouldn't lose even one of those he has given me. He says it's his will. It's my, verse 40, it's my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. That's his will. His plan is for every one of us. And here's where it comes to. This is, this, is, this is the concept of church, at least for me, is my thinking, is there's something missing in here. And I want that filled. Religion can't fill it. I've tried to fill it in a lot of different ways over the years. I joke about this, but one of the ways that I try to feel emptiness sometimes in my life when I'm really, I'll tell you, when I'm really going through a difficult time, church or people or circumstances or counseling or something like that, I like to eat. Anybody else like that? <laughs> Good. I hate to be the only one. I do. That's why you, when you see where someone, you know, the girl gets broke up with and she goes and eats a bucket of chocolate ice cream, I'm that. 
Annette, I, I, mean, I mean, I'm sitting there with her like, I know, it's horrible, he broke up with you. You know, we, we try to feel this. But see, Jesus says, I'm, I'm the bread of life. If you'll let me into every single area of your life, you'll never be hungry and you'll never be thirsty again. He's not talking about physical hunger and thirsty. He's talking about spiritually. He says, I can provide everything for you. These people are trying to build a religion. And I think we all struggle with this. We all want a religion that helps us all just get along. It doesn't exist. There's no religion that's going to help us all just get along. It doesn't exist. We want a religion that helps us all feel good just like we are, with no change. We, we want to build, design a religion that makes us all good, good people. That we're acceptable in society. or we're, I don't want to use the term moral because the concept of morality comes from God. It doesn't come from humanity. We want a religion based upon my ideas of life and humanity. That's why it's so easy for us to pick on other people, including other Christians. Because we're trying to make them in our image, not letting God make them in his image. And so when we pick on things, we're picking most of the time. I mean, there are certain circumstances at times, specifically parents of children, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but where we're trying to help somebody. But if you don't have a good connected relationship and the ability to speak into their world, you're just picking on them. And you're trying to make them into your image. God said he made them in his image. Let him be in charge of this. So I wrote down, I don't want religion. I don't. I don't, there's not, I don't see very, redeem, very many redeemable things from religion. It's dead. It's discouraging. It's about rules. It's about stuff. I, 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 I don't want that stuff. And the biggest thing for me is I don't want another human creation um, designing my life. Something that a human design and created telling me how to live. I don't want that. I've already got the government. I don't need religion too. But here's the thing about this. is I really don't think serving Jesus Christ is a religion. I want a relationship with a Savior that can quench my thirst and hunger. And that's why I want to come to churches because I also want to see how Rick does that. And I want to see, I want him to talk to me about how he does that at the army base. I want, I want, I want that because I'm hungry and thirsty and so is he and so is the people he's interested. I need some information. We get together and we begin to realize that it's in Jesus and we're talking about Jesus and Jesus quenches that hunger and thirst. I want a relationship with the Redeemer that can truly bring peace. This is the number one thing that I hear from people regularly is I want peace. My mind, my life, I want peace. I want the voices of guilt and condemnation destroyed, not just quieted for a little while. I want the chaos and confusion of life calm so I can walk on top of it. And I want the evil and the destruction of life to bow down to the real power of God which answers the question, why do bad things happen? I don't have the answer to that one. I mean, I got a bunch of different ones. But the biggest thing is, is I want it subjected to God, even the bad stuff. I want to be forgiven and redeemed by a Lord that is bigger than death. And this is, the, for me, the, the, everything is about this. I want to follow the God of life. And the reason I come to church is because there's a God of life. Not death, not destruction, not evil, not all this stuff. 
And because I know that he's real, I need to serve him. I need to worship him. And I need to see how you do that. And I need to understand how you're interacting in these things too. Why don't you stand with me? I'd like to do this uh, a little different. And since I said earlier that um, it needs to be a little uncomfortable, I was setting us up. I want us to be a little uncomfortable. Not too bad. Not too bad. Don't, don't get nervous. Um, I'd like us to pray for somebody beside, uh, beside us. But here's the thing. I don't want there to be like an endless line of all of us have to hold hands because we don't want to leave anybody out. I understand how that works in these corporate settings, okay? Here's the thing. Just somebody like standing right beside you, two people, three people, psh, that's about max. Just grab hands with somebody standing right beside you, and we're going to pray for them, okay? Um, you say, well, I'm not standing beside somebody. Uh, theoretically, if you draw a far enough line, you are. Okay, so, so just grab hands with somebody, and I want you to pray this, basically. You can pray it however you want, and this is just a suggestion. And I'd like you to pray, God, if there's any emptiness or openness in their spirit, if there's any hungering or thirsting, fill it right now. Just, just fill that up right now. Let your spirit, your peace move into their heart. Let your joy, your love grace, your forgiveness, move into their spirit. Just fill that up. Because guys, this is why we're here. So that I can pray for you, you can pray for me, and God can fill us up with him. Which beats anything else going on out there. Let me pray for us. Lord, first we're just humbled by you. Lord, you're the one who created this whole thing. You created life. You breathe into us your spirit and life. Lord, you created our existence, our bodies, this planet we're walking on. God, I know that you're real. And so, Lord, I want to be all in. I want to be all in with you. Fill me up with your presence. Every one of us in this place, just like Jesus breathed on the disciples, Jesus, breathe on us right now and fill us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, just just move through this place. Every mind, every heart, fill us with you. Lord, this isn't about designing a religion. This is about we want you. We need you. Lord, I pray that any of the things that we do around here that get caught up in the religious mentality, Lord, help us to see them, reveal them to us, and help us to push them away. Lord, we want to chase after you. We want to pursue you with everything about us. Lord, you're the giver of life. You're the giver of peace. You're the forgiver, the redeemer. You're the holy one. We want to pursue you. You're the creator of everything. We want to pursue you. Holy Spirit, move in our minds. Convict us of things we need to change, things we need to repent of. Holy Spirit, give us boldness to walk in the things that we need to stand strong in. Help us to walk in you, pursue you with everything about us. And Lord, I pray, don't let anybody leave here with chaos and confusion in their spirit and their mind. Bring your peace. Lord, bring your, your, your power into their existence. Lord, if anybody in here is spiritually hungry, let them see that it's your blood that forgives. It's you that died on the cross for this. Lord, we just can give ourselves to you right now. If anybody is thirsty, Holy Spirit, just flow into their mind and their life. Fill them up. We need you. And God, I also pray if there's anybody in this room that struggles 
with the idea of, of, of corporate gatherings that we call church or that somehow they're bad or, or not important. Or, Lord, let them see right now how important this moment is. In the name of Jesus. God, we need you. Lord, I pray for Church of Bargate that as a body, we will pursue you and it will reach people with your love and your grace. We won't be critical. We won't be negative. We won't push people away, but we'll reach people with the amazingness of, of your message. So, Lord, help us to pursue you and reach others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now you can do like this. Didn't, don't you feel nervous about that? Because you don't want the person next to you thinking they sweat, uh, you know, a lot. But, you know. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Tell, them. tell them about Jesus. Tell them how amazing he is. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. We will see you tonight. Um, let me know. If you're coming to my house, everybody's invited, but let me know so we have enough food. And if not, we'll see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day. It was